0: Peace be with you, salaam alaikum. In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful, I am very grateful to God for giving me this blessing of being back to Glasgow and meeting my Muslim friends and Christian friends and making new friends tonight. I'm also very delighted that my very good friend, Paolo, has also joined us from Italy, from Sofia University in Lopiano, which is very dear to us. And I pray that the time that we spend together tonight would be useful and would inspire us to work more towards establishing unity. As you see, the topic is unity of God and unity in God. For us believers in God, I think all the attributes and qualities of God are very important. But perhaps there would be no exaggeration if I say unity of God is the most important quality of God and if we understand the meaning of unity of god i think we would see how every other good comes under unity in the way that muslim theologians normally articulate their ideas their principles of faith they mention tawhid or monotheism or unity of god as one of the principles and you know we add to this prophethood and resurrection But I think it's wrong to think that these principles are equal in value, or to think that prophethood and resurrection come just next to unity of God in rank. Unity of God is the most fundamental quality. And I think anything else comes under unity of God if we understand it properly. When we study the Quran, we find that Quran puts more emphasis on unity of God than even existence of God. It might be surprising because logically, first, we should prove that God exists. And then we can talk about his qualities like unity. But what we understand from the Quran is that humanity have no that much difficulty with understanding existence of God. Their main problem is to have proper image of God. Therefore, the Quran says that even the pagans, even the idol worshipers in Mecca and around, if you ask them and surprise them by such a straight question, والأرض, who has created the skies and the earth, Even the idol worshippers they would say, God the one has created them. They would never say, those idols have created the skies and the earth. So it means that deep inside their heart, they had understanding of God the one who is the creator. But then they thought by worshipping idols, they can get closer to God, as the Quran says we don't worship them except they can take us closer to God the one so it's very clear that the emphasis in the Quran is on unity of God and then on other image or other you know aspects of the image of God that we should have I don't want to take your time about this but if you are interested uh, We have a paper, Image of God in the Quran, in which we try to survey all different attributes of God and then show the frequency of them, and this paper is available. I would like just to focus on unity of God. We read in the history that Prophet Muhammad, when he started his mission in Mecca, as you know, the prophet for 40 years lived in Mecca. And he never worshipped idols, although great majority of people were idol worshippers. But he was never practicing any you know, polytheism. So he was a man of monotheism. He was a follower of Abraham, and also his fathers and grandfathers. When he started his prophethood, delivering his message, in the age of 40, when for the first time he received revelation. It's very important to see how he started talking to people, how he started to bring people back to the tradition of Abraham. We find that the Prophet used to focus a lot on unity of God, to the extent that in a very well-known saying, the Prophet said, قُولُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا Say, and here say doesn't mean just to say it, you know, as a verbal expression, means believe. Say this wholeheartedly, that there is no God but one God, then you would have salvation. Just to believe in one God would bring you salvation. And the pagans had difficulty in saying, la ilaha illallah. Because they knew that all the bad practices and all the bad lifestyle that they had was coming from polytheism. So it was not just saying one word and being able to keep their lifestyle. They realized it's a drama, you know, it's a kind of radical change. So the prophet used to emphasize on unity of God as the key things. And if unity of God is established in all its dimensions that we don't you know, have time to explain, it brings all the good things that we expect, whether it comes to personal life, family life, social life, politics, and everything. We have a later also example, and that is in the life of our eighth imam. You know, we are 12-ers, so we believe in 12 imams. And imam here means the one who is appointed by God to be the successor to the prophet. And it's a spiritual position, as well as, of course, a worthy position. So our eighth imam, who is buried in the city of Mashhad, northeastern Iran, when he was forced by the caliph of his time to move from Medina to Marv, which is, you know, in the province of Khurasan, of course, in old Khurasan, which was much bigger than Khurasan today. So on his way to Marv, he was stopped in the city of Neshabur, which is about 130 kilometers away from Mashhad. So he was stopped by thousands of Muslims, and majority of them were not Shia. They were Muslim from other schools of Islam. But they knew his knowledge and piety, and they knew that he's a son of the prophet. So he was stopped by people and asked, please tell us one saying of the prophet. Please tell us something that we can learn and remember. And historians say there were many people with ink and paper to write and register what he's going to say. And this is very important. I always say to you know, my friends when you know, we meet, that imagine yourself, you are in a position that thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, actually, ask you for advice or you know, for a piece of wisdom, something that you can quote from the prophet, and they would register. Our imam focused on unity of God. And he said, my father narrated from his father and his father from his father, <laughs> finally from the Prophet and the Prophet from Gabriel and Gabriel from God. The word of unity is my fortress. This is divine saying. God is saying us, through Gabriel and then through the prophet, that word of unity is my fortress. Whoever enters my fortress would be saved from my punishment. It means that unity of God is like a fortress that can save us from any problem, personal, social problems. It can all be kept away if we wholeheartedly believe in unity of God. Of course, the historians say that Imam moved on, and then again stopped, and said, there are conditions. This is not something easy. And when you want to implement honestly this, you would see that you have to meet lots of conditions. So unity of God is very, very fundamental. And if you can say only one thing, if you have opportunity only to say one thing about religion, one thing about your relation with God, one thing about what we want to achieve, we can say unity. And then under this unity, everything else comes. But there is nothing that can replace unity. And one of the things that we find about qualities of God is that the quality of God would not remain in divine realm. Qualities of God should be reflected in human life. For example, we talk about divine justice. You know, for us Shia, historically, we stress on divine justice as one of our five principles of faith. Because there was a debate in early Islam and continued for centuries, what do we mean by justice? You know, a similar debate took place in Christianity, in Judaism, in Greek philosophy about, you know, divine command theory. So what do we mean by justice? And is it that God does good things, or whatever God does is good by definition? So this is a debate that was there in early Islam. And the Shia very much stressed on the idea of divine justice as something that we can understand objectively and something that we can understand rationally. It's objective and rational. I don't want to go into that discussion, but what I want to say is that divine justice does not remain only in theology, would not remain only something about the way we understand God. It quickly comes to this world and takes the form of social justice. God is just. He expects us also to be just. It's not that we say, God is just, and then we do injustice to each other. So immediately, justice of God is translated into social justice, to the extent that the Quran says, all the messengers have come in order to help people establish social justice. لَيَقُومَ النَّاسُ بِالْقِسْطِ The messengers have not come to establish justice by themselves. This would not be the point. The point is that they help humanity and humanity establish social justice. Or when for example we study the Quran and we realize that God is merciful, again this is not something only about God, we have to be merciful. And this is why God says that the prophet is sent as a mercy to all people. The Quran is the book of mercy. And we have to be merciful to each other. So all the qualities of God have direct impact on the way that we should believe and behave. And unity of God is to be translated into unity of humanity in God. One of contemporary scholars from Iraq, who was a great jurist and theologian, he said something beautiful. He said, Islam is founded on two words, word of unity and unity of word. Word of unity means tawheed, monotheism. And unification of the word means humanity getting united. So we have to believe in unity of God, but also we have to work for establishing unity among ourselves. And I would say even these are not two different words. These are two sides of the same coin. It's not that these are two words. There is no way to understand unity of God unless you become an instrument and agent for spreading unity. The Quran tells us that one of the vicious acts of Pharaoh was to divide people. To divide people is very severely condemned in Islamic ethics. Maybe you cannot find any personal sin, even if it's a great sin, a major sin, which can be compared to the sins which damage relation of people. And among them, to divide people. If someone does something that divides people, is severely condemned. On the other hand, if someone brings even two people closer to each other, It's very highly appreciated. To the extent that Imam Ali, in his final will, he says that for the sake of God, try to reconcile between people. And if you can reconcile even between two people, imagine two neighbors have problems, a husband and wife, a father and child, or a mother of child. Two sisters. If you manage to reconcile between two people, he says that Rasulullah, the messenger of God said, it's better than one year of praying and fasting. And now imagine if you can bring two communities closer to each other, what would be the reward? If you can bring humanity together, what would be the reward? So a vicious act is act of dividing people. And a virtuous act, a divine act, is bringing unity. The Quran very clearly reminds Muslims of the gift of unity. Because you know, before Islam entered Medina, which was called the city of Yathrib, there were lots of tribal fights. There were two major Arab tribes, and there were also some Jewish tribes Jewish tribes were not originally from there, but because they were expecting a prophet to come in that part of the world, so they had gone and settled there. But the majority of inhabitants were Arabs from Aus and Khazraj, two tribes who had rivalry and they had, you know, fight for many years. And when prophet was in Mecca and was teaching and preaching, the news reached the people of Medina, Yathrib, of course, at that time. And they went and invited the prophet to go to Yathrib, later known as Medina, and to bring unity and peace to them. So the Quran reminds Muslims that how God Gave them the gift of unity. Remember the blessing of God. When you used to be enemies. And God united your hearts. Now you have become brothers. So. To divide people is a satanic, is a vicious act. To unite people is a divine act. Anyone with deep commitment to unity would do his or her best to bring people closer to each other. And there is no limit. This is not only unity of people from one family or one religion or one ethnicity. We have to build unity over unity. I have a story that I share many times you know, with my friends because it was a historical moment for me. Few years ago, with some Mennonite friends from North America, I don't know if you know Mennonites, you know some Anabaptists, so we had a panel on Muslim-Christian relations in American Academy of Religion in Georgia, in that year it was in Georgia. And we together made a presentation. After the presentation was over, a lady came to me and said, I feel frightened when you talk about Muslims and Christians getting united. And I was surprised. And this question helped me a lot. Because from that time on, I always try to clarify that when we talk about unity of Muslims and Christians, this is not unity against anyone. In the same way, when we talk about Muslim unity, we are not talking about Muslims getting united against Christians or Jews. Or when we talk about Muslims and Christians united, it's not against anyone. We just want to build a unity over unity. We don't want to miss any opportunity for establishing unity. So, for example, if in my community, you know, now I'm in London, we have in our community people from different ethnicities. We have Iranians, we have Iraqis, we have Lebanese, we have Pakistanis, we have Indians, we have you know, all sorts of people. Okay. And my task that I have, you know, chosen for myself is to establish unity. Okay. How I want to do this important thing. Shall I say to everyone that forget you are Iranians, forget you are Iraqis, you're Pakistanis, just all of you should get united. Or maybe there is a wiser way. I say, don't forget you are Iranians. You Iranians get united. You Pakistanis get united. Iraqis get united. But then we all should get united. So there are grounds for unity between people of the same family, the same ethnicity, the same denomination, the same religion that we should not miss. But this should be done in the way that paves the way for a larger unity. So I would say, you people, you Iranians, get united. But be open for a larger unity with non-Iranians, then all Shia get united so that we can get united with all Muslims, with then all believers in God, and then we can reach all human beings. There is no limit for unity, even I believe that we should Reach the point that we can be united with nature, not only with human beings. A believer in God, when he goes to a park, when he goes next to river, should be able to sense unity with the nature. We are not a stranger in this world. We are all creatures of the same God. And I should feel this unity with them. I should feel. They are part of me, and I am part of them. You know, sometimes I say something, and some people may think that it's not, you know, it's a joke, but it's not a joke. I say when you go to a park and you see flowers, greet them. When you see fruits, greet them. There is a unity between us. In the same way that you greet your friends, you should greet all these creatures of God. So this is like a ocean like an ocean in which you throw a stone. There are ripples which grow and become larger and larger, but they don't exclude each other. With the people who are closer to the center, you have a stronger unity. When that circle is closer, the wave is stronger. But then it becomes wider, but the unity maybe is less. So, with some people, you have 1,000 and one reason to unite. With some people, you may have just one reason to unite. But there is no human being with which you can have no reason to unite. And then, when I look at this issue in another way, I say, okay, we said unity inside family community, your denomination, your religion, Abrahamic traditions, believers in God, and humanity. But this is one way of looking at these circles. But I want to reflect again, and I say, actually, maybe this is not the accurate way of understanding relations. If we understand that the core of religion, Is submission to God, the absolute truth. Then with the people who are submissive to God, you have the closest relation. Even closer than people of your own faith. Even closer than your own blood, brothers and sisters. And this is very important. So I used to think, okay, I would get. united with my Shia brothers, then with my Muslim brothers, then with my, with my Christian brothers. But now, I think in another way. I say, I get united with the people who are submissive to God. Maybe the people in the first circle, some of them are Shia, some are Sunni, some are Christians. I can sense, this is not just theology, I can sense how much God has gifted us with this unity with some of my Christian friends, a unity that I may not have even with my some of relatives. Because when for us, God is the most important thing, when for God, submission to God is the greatest achievement that every person should try to get to that point, then whoever is submissive to God is very close to me. And this is one of the gifts that God has given us and some of my Christian friends, and we would be very happy to share with you some aspects of this unity that we have. And in particular, I want to refer at the end to a very important project which is dear to me, and then my friend Paolo is going to uh, elaborate and expand. We. Have very good relation with some groups of Christians, and among them, I have a very good relation with Focolare movement. And you know, there are some of my Focolare friends here. So we know each other for twenty years, and you know, I have visited Focolare in many countries, many cities. I have spent lots of time with them, thinking and reflecting. And thanks to God, I understood many things about them, about myself, about our relation. Not just about them, even about myself and about our relation. So in one of our recent visits of Lopiano, which is something that started in 1999, the first time I visited Lopiano, Uh, which is a small town near Florence, where Focolare uh, friends have a formation center, and they try to practice the spirituality of unity. So we have visited many times. But in a visit that I had last year, I suggested to Professor Piero Coda, who is the president of Sofia University, which is run by the Focolare, that I think we have to work together for understanding what would be the best way to establish unity. I said I have no doubt that if we strive for understanding, God would guide us. Because the Quran says, subulana. <laughs> those who struggle and strive in our way, we will certainly guide them. So I said, Piero, let us sit together and share our resources and try to understand how God wants us to establish unity. This is after 19 years knowing for movement. So I thought now is the time that we don't just talk to each other, we think together. We work together. And he welcomed this idea. And he said, we should give a name to this project. What should we call it? And without thinking, just in that moment, it came to my mind to call it Wings of Unity. For unity, we need two wings. So we can be wings of unity. and. Then he welcomed the name. And then later I realized that actually coda in Italian means tail. So I said, OK, we have the full bird, two wings and one tail, so we can fly. (laughs) (laughs) So we started this project. And we had the first round of our discussion in July last year, which was excellent. Then we had the second January this year, which was superb. And then we reached a point that now we think to say dialogue is too little. We have much more. So now my friend Paolo is going to explain more. And I thank you for your attention. Thank you.